that obviously is where our uh, message for this morning will be taken. Uh, trust that the Lord will use it in our life, um, help us in our understanding of our existence here. Psalm 39. You may, let me just say this, you heard me say a moment ago uh, that when we hear uh, it's not about noise and make some noise in here. Let me tell you where that gener- came from. I was listening to a sermon online, and this well-known preacher uh, was preaching a, a sermon from a text in the Old Testament, and what he was saying didn't make any sense. Uh, he was forcing stuff into the text. It, it, even that church, who is not accustomed to getting sound doctrine, they sat pretty quietly. I'm thinking, why aren't y'all yelling? Because you know this is nonsense. And he said, make some noise off up in there. Well, you know, you don't need to make noise if you have the truth. You can say amen, you can just ponder it. And when you tell it like it is, and that's what we want to do here. Psalm 39. Psalm 39. I said I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle. While the wicked are in my presence, I was mute and silent. I refrained even from good, and my sorrow grew worse. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I have become mute. I do not open my mouth because it is you who have done it. Remove your plague from me. Because of the opposition of your hand, I am perishing. With reproofs, you chasten a man for iniquity. You consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely every man is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you, a sojourner like all my fathers. Turn your gaze away from me, that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. Fragile lives and fleeting time is the subject for this morning's exposition of Scripture. Scripture in both Old and New Testaments affirm the brevity of our earthly life. For example, in the Old Testament book of New Testament book of James, James 4:14, it says this, "You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away." What's interesting in that verse is two words describe our brevity, vapor and a little while. We read or hear statistics from official sources in our nation and from other nations that reveal either an increase or a decrease in life expectancy. 
even with an increase in longevity, life is still short. That reality is reflected in the statement, here today, gone tomorrow. This psalm attests to that reality about the human lifespan. It does so in the context of divine chastening. Divine chastening of its author, David. David was under the divine hand of discipline from the Lord, and he lets us know this. He says as much in verse 11, which I just read a moment ago. Commentator Derek Kittner writes, quote, The burning question of this psalm is why God should so assiduously discipline a creature as frail and fleeting as man. End of quote. Why is God so, why does he so persevere in disciplining or chastening such frail and fleeting people as we are? We may answer the question this way. God requires that his redeemed ones mirror his holy character. Their lifespan on earth notwithstanding, in spite of the brevity of our life, God wants us to be holy. And he will work just to that end in our life. He will, even though we're not here for a very long time, that time we're here, he wants us to look like him. That's why I mentioned Christ's likeness. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to be like his son. That is the objective of his salvation of us, that we look like Jesus Christ. And this truth, the truth that was applied to David in being holy, having the character of God in his life, sinning less and less and less, this truth applies to all generations of believers, even up, in, include, up to and including us in 2024. The superscription of this psalm, you see it there. It says, for the choir director, Judithan, a psalm of David. This superscription implies that it's not just for the people in David's day. It wasn't just for David. It's for all of us. That's why David submitted it to the choir director, the man who would lead the temple worship the public worship, they would be able to sing this song. This, this psalm, this song would be inculcated in them as they would hear the truths that this psalm possesses. Though this psalm is autobiographical, that is, it records David's spiritual experience, it's profitable for all believers. For you know the truth of it is, we're, we're just like David. We're no different from him. He was a believer. We have the same kind of struggles. We have a short life like he did, and you just have to realize that. So that's why it's here. In fact, when you read the Psalms, you meet yourself. You like that. So here we have this Psalm. And the lesson begins as David speaks about himself. And we begin the lesson. We'll use the heading to kind of designate these first three verses silence before the wicked silence before the wicked David 
put a muzzle on his mouth. He guarded his ways. While being disciplined by the Lord, he resolved to be mute. Guarding his ways means his behavior with particular attention to his speech. When he says the muzzle, it's metaphorical. Of course, we all know about muzzles because people will muzzle their animal, their dog, so they won't feed or, or bite. If they bite, they can be dangerous if they're not muzzled. David put a muzzle on his mouth because he knew that if he didn't control his speech, he would say something sinful. He would say something harmful. Y'all know something about that, don't you? He knew that as he was going through the discipline, as God was chastening him, he would be tempted, he would be vulnerable, in fact, to saying something he shouldn't have said. He was in the presence of wicked, wicked people around him. And he did not want to complain about God and the discipline that he was undergoing in the presence of unbelievers. As God chastened him. He was very mindful that he could potentially say something, say something that would be irreverent, that would dishonor God. So he resolved to control his speech. In fact, his control of his speech was such extended to even not saying anything, notice in verse 2, good. He just shut it down. You know, let me take it aside. For some of you, that'd be good to start practicing. You want a New Year's resolution? <laughs> Muzzle your mouth. Because some of you say stuff that's just way out there. It's foolish, it's stupid, it's harmful. You need to learn to shut up. Amen. That. Say amen, Pastor. <laughs> we, now we can make some noise in here today. that goes for all of us does it not because th that tongue can be it can get out of control David knew it David, David didn't have this I'm, I'm King David and I, I write psalms no 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 he said no I'm vulnerable. And he kept his control over his tongue. You'll notice in the bottom of verse 2, and my sorrow grew worse. And he gives us a picture of what it was like, this internal reality within him. He's keeping a lid on his mouth, or keeping his mouth closed. And not saying what he shouldn't say. In verse 3, my heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. The language here, the expression here, of course, is returning to the internal agitation that he is experiencing. The, 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 it's anger. Exasperation. He couldn't express himself because he resolved not to do so in the presence of the wicked. But yet he was dealing with this discipline from God it was bothering him what does he do 
You notice the bottom of the verse 3. Then I spoke with my tongue. Let me tell you what he didn't do. He didn't speak with his tongue in the presence of sinners. No. How do we know it? Because in verse 4, he directs his words to the Lord. He speaks to the Lord. There's silence before the wicked, but here, now, he speaks to the Lord. Speaks to Yahweh. It's a request. Make me to know my end. And what is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. First, the words, know my end, do not refer to David's demise. He is not asking Yahweh to tell him the day of his death. Those words, know my end, like the terms extent and transient, refer to life's brevity. This is what David is saying. He's saying, Lord, enable me to realize how short my days are on this earth. It's a good prayer. See, Lord, I, I need to realize that I'm just here for a little while. You need to illuminate my thinking. You see, David, like us and like other people, we can think we're, we're just going to be here a while. Death, well, I haven't died yet. This is a fitting prayer request. Not only for David, but for us. We, do, we need to realize that we're not here in perpetuity. Our physical existence on planet Earth is leased to us. And our lease is a short one. It's a short-term lease. And in that lease, we don't even know when the lease is up. Well, what do we do? I'm here. I know I'm here temporarily. I understand my life is transient. I, I don't know when God's going to say I'm done. But what do I do? Moses helps us. In Psalm 90, verse 12, he says this, So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Moses in that psalm, after witnessing after funeral, as they were in the wilderness and people were dying because of their disobedience at Kadesh Barnea. He didn't ask Yahweh to show him how to count his days. No, he didn't mean that, obviously. He meant, teach us to use our time. Our time here in view of the brevity of life. You know what? When we use our time in view of the short time we have on this planet as Christians, we demonstrate wisdom. That's how we present a heart of wisdom to God. 
If we're not doing that, we're not living wisely. Christians of all people are to be the ones who live wisely, recognizing I'm here for a while. It's a short while. What am I doing with the time that God has allotted to me? Moses prayed that in the Old Testament. Paul speaks about it in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. He writes, making the most of your time because the days are evil. The word time there in that verse refers to our lifetime on earth. We make the most of our time when we're engaged in using our limited time on earth in Christ's worship and service. Doing his will. Advancing his cause and his kingdom. That's how you make the most of your time. Think about this, brothers and sisters. We're going to give an account for how we spent our time from the moment of salvation till the day we went to be with the Lord. Christians have to be mindful not to waste time and to waste energy on things that are useless. The world does. Only God. We, the scripture says, we are to make the most of our time, our lifetime, in serving the Lord. See, we were saved to serve Him. I remember my wife and I uh, were in California at a church in 1990, and a man was an usher. Thought just came to my mind. And was, he was telling me, now you need to get down real close so you can see MacArthur and see his, um, uh, all the things, of course, the big church and all that. So he was helping me, a very nice gentleman. He was telling me uh, he and his wife about to go on vacation. You know what his vacation was going to be? They were going to take a cruise to go to Russia so they could distribute Bibles. That man and his wife knew how to use their time wisely. I told him I prayed for him. That was in 1990, and I've never forgotten that. The cruise, the real point wasn't just to go on vacation, but do something spiritual. You know, the, the, oh, that particular time in geopolitical history, that could be done, and said, they took advantage of it and said, oh, let's go take the word of God to the Russians. That's how you use your time. Make the most of it short. What you want to do, you want to come to the end of your life, the day of your death, if you're conscious, saying, I lived my life the way I wish I had lived it. <laughs> Jonathan Edwards said that. Not, I wish I'd lived my life differently. Live it the way you wish you'd lived it when you come to the end of it. David, 
continues here. Verse 5, speaking to the Lord, Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths. He's measuring his lifespan. He says it's a handbreadth. It's one of the smallest units of measure in ancient Israel. In Jeremiah chapter 52, verse 21, the measurement is given in terms of four fingers. Four fingers in thickness. Physical representation of the shortness of our life. You'll notice, he says, you have made my days as handbreadths. You compare, you've made my days, and I can compare them to handbreadths. A short lifetime is God's doing. And you thought it was you. further says in my lifetime that's nothing in your sight because God is eternal then he makes this statement about everybody surely every man at his best is a mere breath Every man, rich man, poor man, man in between, doesn't matter what his level of education or lack thereof. It doesn't matter. Every man, every woman, at his or her best, is a, at his best, his vigor, his strength. When you're young and strong, when your biceps can be seen, <laughs> and... You can do things that you can't do now for us older people. Y'all know where I'm coming from, don't you? Even when our biceps could be seen, and there's definition in our calves, <laughs> and a pot belly is something for old guys. A mere breath. Now can you imagine we've gotten older, we're decaying, we're dying, we're headed to eternity. We're a mere breath. A breath. What is a breath? How long is a breath? It's according to Google, two seconds. Another way uh, to look at breath is what a professor of Hebrew had to say about the word. He described it this way. A breath is what's left after you break a soap bubble. nothing. The Hebrew term translated breath here uh, is used in Ecclesiastes to translate futility, vanity. The word can mean empty, it can mean nothing. That's what we are, a mere breath. In verse 6, Surely every man walks about as a phantom, meaning fragile and frail. So we are fragile and frail. 
We're fragile and frail in our composition. We're fragile and frail. We're dying. We're weak. We're fragile and frail. And we're just here for a little while. And David, he's learning because the Lord is illuminating his mind as he's thinking about the wicked. And there's an, the idea, perhaps, that uh, the prosperity of the wicked was a part of this whole scenario that David's engaged in. He says, notice, surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. Make an uproar. It's a vain show. Have you thought about that? What the world is engaged in is a vain show. They're massing wealth. They're gathering riches. They think that somehow the acquisition of wealth is the point of life. So many people are like that. Even people um, who don't have enormous wealth, they, they desire it and they, they want to keep up with the, y'all heard it, the Joneses. not what life's about. It's a vain show. Perhaps William Shakespeare's words can help us. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. The life of a lost man. He struts upon the stage of history. And he's gone. You know, we're impermanent. So are all the things that we acquire. It's all temporary. What on earth are you doing? Engaging in grabbing hold of the temporary that you're going to eventually lose. Silence before the Lord speaks to the Lord, seeks the forgiveness of his sins, seeking forgiveness of his sins from the Lord. Remember, he's under this divine discipline for his sins. David understood that life is extremely short. He had come to that understanding. God illumined his mind. He understood that its meaning, get this, cannot um, be obtained by the acquisition of wealth. Peter Craigie said, the trappings of mortal life. End of quote. You can't find meaning in stuff. If you're trying to find meaning in stuff, guess what? You're going to be with a life that's ultimately meaningless. What matters is one's relationship to the Lord. That's where you get permanent meaning from. Not from a transitory life, but from a relationship with the Lord while you're living that life. David had come to that conclusion. That's why he could say, and now, Lord, what do I wait 
for what do I wait? Verse 7, and then the B portion, my hope is in you. It's in you. It's not in things. It's not in the trappings of mortal life. It is not in all of that stuff. Meaning is in you. My confidence in you, my expectation is in you. Who are you? Yahweh, you're the self-existent one. The one who is true. The one who is reliable. Permanent meaning in a transitory life is a relationship with the living God. God wants us to know that. That's why he disciplines us. And then we're unrepentant. We're not dealing with our sin. God says, okay, I'm going to bring you as a father because I'm your father. You're my child and I love you. And I don't want you caught up in stuff that's temporary, that's not meaningful, that's not going to help you, not going to bless you now nor in eternity. I'm going to discipline you. So that we'll understand, oh, yes, right, 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 right. Thanks for bringing me, Lord, to my senses. You see, the Lord wants us to build a life on that which is solid. And Christians are the ones who turn from sand to rock to build the foundation of their lives. We are aware that we do not have permanent residency here. You do know that, don't you? May I say something to you? Get to the biblical perspective on life. You better do that. It'll keep you from disillusionment. Hebrews 11.13 in part says, strangers and exiles on the earth. People of faith, that passage. That's who we are. Strangers and exiles on the earth. We didn't come here to stay. Hebrews 13, 14, for here we do not have a lasting city. Philippians 3, 20 in part says, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we wait for our Savior who will come and transform our lowly bodies into a body in the likeness of his glorious body. It's not here. I'm going to throw something out help you. Paul said that the Philippians were part of the Roman Empire, and I think they were pretty proud of that. Tell you something, you, you Americans. Your citizenship's in heaven. Yeah, we live in the United States, but the United States is not your home permanently. <laughs> Amen. Heaven is. First John 2, 17, the world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God or the Father lives forever. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. David understood that and that's why he said, forgive me. That's the words in verse 8. Notice, deliver me from all my transgressions. 
he acknowledges his sin. And when he acknowledges his sin and asking God to forgive him of his sin, David, in effect, is renewing his commitment to the Lord. He'd been silent. And he didn't want the same thing even then. As God disciplined him in this painful process. And then he realized he needed to keep silent. And so we ask him. He says, um, verse 10, remove your plague from me. We don't know what the plague is. One translation says stroke. We don't know. We just know that God was disciplining him. And David is saying, remove it from me. He says, because of the opposition in your hand, I am perishing. being chastened we saw that a moment ago and the Lord consume as a moth what is precious to him what God will do he will take away from us in chastening that which we value in order for us to see clearly Yes, he will. When he disciplines his people. David uh, comes back to the statement again. Surely every man is a mere breath. The brevity of life. Silence before the Lord, speaks to the Lord, seeks the forgiveness of his sins, of course, from the Lord. And then, finally, supplication for relief. He's asking already, he's doing it again in verses 12 and 13. Saying, Lord, hear my prayer. Do not be silent at my tears as the pain of the process of discipline is uh, causing emotional distress in his life. But he's saying, Lord, this is reason you don't be silent in my tears. Just notice in verse 12, for I am a stranger with you, a sojourner like all my fathers. David had come to realize that he is temporary here. In fact, from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, 24, uh, it talks about the alien who come among Israel and they had no permanent stake. What David, in effect, is saying, Lord, I have no permanent stake in this life. R remove your discipline. Turn your gaze away from me that I may smile again, that I may have joy again. He says, would you do this? Do it. And then no more. Um, do it while I'm still here. Don't keep your heavy hand of discipline on me until the day I am no more. That is, until the day I die. Yeah. 
sisters, our lives are fragile. And we're temporary. Drill that down home deeply in your mind. Because that defines us. Fragile people, temporary people, live accordingly. And when you do, then you're living wisely. If you don't, you're living unwisely. Only people who can do that, truly, are those who've been born again. Because we're the ones who have the light. We have the truth of Scripture. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, then you can understand what life's really all about. Really understand its ultimate purpose and its ultimate meaning. If you haven't come to faith in Christ, you're existing. But you're not existing for a purpose beyond the temporal, the very thing you shall lose, your life and everything else that goes with it. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you and give you glory and praise for the reality of who you are. We thank you for this reminder of... Um, how we ought to live in the light of eternal truths. You have made us for yourself. As Augustine said, we find no rest until we find it in thee. Help us to live the way you've called us to do. Pray for those in this room who are without Jesus Christ, who gives life life abundantly, eternal life to those who will turn from their sin and embrace him and receive the forgiveness thereof and begin to truly live. We pray for those in this room who are Christians but are unchurched. Pray you open their eyes to their need to be involved in a church and what you're doing using the time that you've given them to serve you and advance your cause to live wisely. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.